Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Off The Beat and Track Podcast. I'm your host, I'm Stu Whiffin. It's another week, therefore it's another episode. Today's episode, I sit down with Alex Metric. Oh, trust me guys, you're in for an absolute delightful chat here. Um... Alex is wonderful. We have such a, a deep dive into all manner of music. And, and it is weird. You build up these perceptions of, of, of these artists that, 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 that you're fans of, of, oh, I'm sure they're going to be into that. And they're, they're, they've definitely be influenced by that. And sometimes there's just curveballs thrown in there. And that's what makes for really interesting discussions and episodes. And, and, and we've got one of those today. It goes all over the place and, and, and it's wonderful. And I can't wait to get to press play on that chat. But before we do that, a few thank yous. Always the biggest thanks go to you lot. So thanks hugely for, for continuing to listen to, to Off The Beaten Track. We're, we're at 400 odd episodes now. And, uh, and the minute I press record on these chats, I never have a dull moment. It's so lovely to just to get to sit and, and chat to these wonderful creative people. And, uh, and the fact that I then put it out and you lot, listen and send me little messages and, and share it and retweet it. It's, it's so lovely. And uh, so always the biggest thanks go to you. Um, big love and thanks to 76 who produces these episodes and puts them together and makes them sound as lovely as he can uh, for your, your ears. Uh, and also big love and thanks to Mr. Scroobius Pip uh, and all my brothers and sisters at the Distraction Pieces Network, which this podcast is very proud to be part of. Um, if you've not explored the Distraction Pieces Network, go over there. You can obviously get to, to hear Distraction Pieces, Scroobius Pip's incredible podcast. Um, you can hear podcasts from Brett Goldstein, uh, his, his podcast Films to be Buried With. Uh, there's a podcast over there called Hardcore Listing, which I'm told is very, very, very good. Um, and there's loads. Go, go and have a little deep dive over there. Anyway, one of the other things I want to mention as well is I just said that there's 400 episodes available for free. Like, go get stuck in. If this is your first time listening, then uh, when you've finished this wonderful chat with Alex, then then go and explore the back catalogue because you can hear me talking to um, many people that we, we discuss on here. You can hear me talking to, um, to Fatboy Slim. Uh, you can hear me talking to Franz Ferdinand. Um, you can hear me talking to all, all, all manner of producers. Butch Vig, um, super producer. Um, gosh, yeah, you name it then uh, I'm sure most of them have been on because, like I say, we're 400 episodes deep. So go and have a big explore of that back catalogue. Um, but what you can do as well is get access to 
even more episodes you can watch all the episodes um and you can get access to dj sets radio shows playlists all manner of stuff i put up loads of weekly content on a patreon page um and so so patreon if you don't know um you should by now if you're a long-term listener because i bang on bang on about it all the time because essentially it it finances this podcast um and so from as little as one dollar a month so what's that 75p a month um you get access to to loads of weekly content um but ultimately you are supporting uh this podcast and and helping me you know kind of get the production costs covered and 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 things like that so any support you can give me um over on patreon and the the address for that is patreon.com forward slash off the beat and track um anything you can do over there is, is really really appreciated um but i also am very aware that the uh, the cost of living is absolutely bananas at the moment so um if you can't afford that then hey enjoy all the free stuff uh but i tell you what you can do just give us a little little tweet share or nudge one of your mates and go have you listened to that off the beaten track so all right that is there's this lispy guy from essex um and he chats to these 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 wonderful people about songs that you know that they're really into and their creative journeys anyway i'm waffling there Everything you need to know about this podcast, you can find out about at Off The Beat and, it's not beaten track, Off The Beat and track podcast.com. Please enjoy today's episode of Off The Beat and Track Podcast with the wonderful Alex Metric. Right, I've got to take a quick break in this podcast because I've got some super exciting news. Off The Beat and Track Podcast is proud to go into partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. That's right. The cacao bar is not a chocolate bar. It's all the best bits of a chocolate bar put into a really exciting new alcoholic range. That's right. Gin, vodka, and a beautiful range of cream liqueurs. So one of the big bonuses of this partnership is obviously I'm super thrilled to have Hotel Chocolat working with us, but they sent me a great big box of this stuff. And I'm telling you, it's amazing. Go and check it out, www.hotelchocolat.com or over on the socials at Hotel Chocolat. But yeah, in the coming months, there's going to be opportunities for you to get involved with competitions with us, to win bottles of stuff. There's loads of exciting things coming soon, and I can't be more happy to say that this podcast is in partnership with the Cacao Bar from Hotel Chocolat. All right, let's get back to the podcast. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. With me, Stu Whipping. Okay, we are recording. Alex Metric, good morning. Morning, Stu. How are you? I'm okay, mate. I'm not too bad. I'm not too bad. Are you in the studio right now? I am in the studio right now in the Batcave. Um, yeah, I came in early to do this before uh, a day of uh, DJ prep starts. Lovely stuff. Lovely stuff. Well, talking about is, is that a home studio no a separate studio okay. um, which is like five minutes down the road from my flat so it's uh kind of the best of both worlds it's near enough that i uh can always get down here but i don't have that cabin fever of being in the same place where yeah. i'm living and working you know that's really important man and like i think for me like lockdown really brought that like to the forefront of my mind where it was like I was just working from home and then like getting from one sofa finishing work later than I normally probably would then going sitting on another sofa then going to bed and it's like 
yeah, that's not good, man. And like, yeah. I've literally rented an office that I don't necessarily need just so I've got some structure. Right, yeah. I mean, I think I, I was very lucky with lockdown. Um, kind of experienced it slightly differently because I could still come to the studio within the, you know, the rules we had. Sure. I was on my own, self-employed. I needed to mm. go to work. Um, so uh, I... I managed to have those two spaces still to be able to come somewhere and go somewhere. But I would say on the flip side of that, it did. Although I think I thought that all I wanted was to spend every day always in the studio and never going anywhere. uh, You know, a few months in, it was like, God, it is kind of great being in the studio every day, but also there was nothing to break it up. There was no uh, gigs to, to go to or, um, trips to other other cities or countries to, to go and write and produce. You know, it's just very much like a Groundhog Day in the in the studio as well. In some ways, um, so I was very lucky, but also it really did kind of make me think about the uh, that you need a bit of yin and yang. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, let's start your playlist. Uh, and and for track one, I'm going to ask you, please tell me the song that you think has the greatest ever intro. Okay, I'm just going to do a kind of caveat to this. Okay, is that to go back through all recorded history and think to me, think to myself, what was the tune with the best ever intro? It was uh, a very daunting task, and the one that came to mind has already been used on your podcast. Alex, what, go on. Alex from Franz Ferdinand did um, "Money for Nothing" by Dire Straits. Oh, a few people have done that. Yeah, which I mean, <laughs> got got to mention that because the intro is unbelievable on that and it's a record that i um kind of recently re-listened to for the first time in many many years and i don't think i even remembered how insane the intro is to that record you know um so i would definitely have gone for that but i want to do something that uh can i just just go back to that quickly what what is it that you like about that uh it's absolute ridiculousness (laughs) that's what everyone says it's just so (laughs) so unnecessary um, and I kind of didn't realize how Balearic it was until recently. Like it's just this mad synth wig out with, um, with, with sting apparently yep. backing vocals yeah, on it. Yeah, it is. Yeah. Um, which also got sampled for a great house record in the early 2000s. Um, what that? Oh, I want my MTV bit. Yeah. A D Ramirez record, which was so good. Um, yeah, I like, I like the, I, I like ridiculousness in records and, yeah. I like how overblown it is and how much it wrong foots you. And then it's like, ah, oh, right now we've got the riff. You yeah. Know? Yeah. I mean, it, it, you get, that's the drop, isn't it? Like you get that yeah. big build up, and then you just get that huge. I mean, it's so, as you say, it's so ridiculous. It's, it, it just sums up 80s production hugely for that sort of genre. But, uh, but yeah, but that's not your choice. No, no. So what I decided to do was like, what was the intro of recent memory that I absolutely love and that really sticks with me. And the first one that came to mind, quite a few of my um, answers, I'm just going with my like gut instinct, like my first thing and not trying to overthink too much. So the one that jumped out is um, the Avalanche's Jamie XX, Nana Cherry, um, a record called Wherever You Go, um, which I discovered... Uh, about a year ago or maybe a bit earlier just through through lockdown and um has all the ingredients for me for a, a for an amazing intro it's got like 
spoken word sections, sort of film samples, um, all these ethereal synths, and uh, then a children's choir. Yeah. And uh, then when you kind of think it's got more, uh, it's got too ridiculous, then this big chant comes in and then it drops to a bass line like two and a half minutes into the record. Um, it, it just creates this world, that intro. I, I absolutely love it. Like it creates this mad sci-fi world that you kind of get drawn into before the, before the record starts. And it has a great, um, a great BPM change as well as it goes up into the bass line section. So it's completely wrong foot to you. You're like, you really don't know what the hell's going to happen after that. Yeah. So you, you've chosen two ridiculous and long intros. Yeah. What's your approach to, to writing and producing when it comes to intros? Well, I think it can go, Go, it can go both ways. I mean, I, I'm lucky that I get to kind of produce a lot of different things. So, you know, some days I'm writing songs in a more sort of pop format. Some days I'm making, uh, you know, six-minute house records, producing band stuff. I don't know. Like, I, I get to exercise a ridiculous intro every now and then, but it's kind of a it's kind of a dying thing, I think, especially in, in the world that I occupy and the music I make. Um, I think the last time I got to do my own ridiculous intro was uh, on the Fakir album I produced. Um, it's really bad. I can't remember the name of the first track now, but the, the first track that opened the album was a, was a ridiculous intro. Um, and I, that was like three years ago. So I don't think I've done a ridiculous intro since then. Um, she arguably one of my records, Open Your Eyes, was uh, which is about 10 years old now, was all about the ridiculous intro. It was like a three-minute three minute, um, epic live drums and emotional chords thing, and then it just turns into this Chemical Brothers-esque bass line. So, yeah, it's something I love to do, but I just don't get the chance to do it much anymore, and you know, the the format of music has changed slightly. And if you want it to work in the space of streaming, then you kind of have to play that game a bit. And I don't mean that in a negative way. I kind of like the way music evolves and I like the way that certain rules and um, boundaries uh, come in from them and the way that that can affect the creative process and you work within them, you know? And essentially we're talking pop music here, right? Yeah. 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 But not just pop music, you know, anything, if you, if you're putting a rec- record up on streaming, generally, if you want that to get to as many people as possible, you have to do an edit of it even, do you know yeah. what I mean? Even, yeah. even a, a six minute long club record, I'll still have to do a streaming edit for, um, and often you end up writing it with the thought of streaming or the thought of like, you know, the immediacy and then kind of retrofit it and put an in, put a, a club intro and outro on it. So that does sort of, sort of find its way into the creative process. Yeah, for sure. But I don't think that's necessarily bad. It's like, no, not at all. Pop music, for example, has always had a formula, you know, a, a verse, chorus, verse, yeah. What you know, three minutes long, whatever. Like, and I, I think having these confines to work within actually lets you be more creative. 
hundred percent. And it's exciting. Like I, I love a, an intro that grabs your attention and then um, you're straight in. It's great. I've said it so many times on this podcast that yeah, you can listen to a you know a nine minute my bloody Valentine wigger. Uh, that that you imagine the complexities of putting that together must have been insane. But I think the science to creating a a three minute perfect pop songs just as if not more difficult. Like hundred percent, yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, yeah, having those rules just leads you to to try and be creative in other ways. You know, yeah, um, yeah, and I, I think I think there can often be a a misconception that like, if you have to, I don't know that maybe it's like not that it's ruining the creative process or it's not, you're not being true to yourself. If you have to feel like you're working towards work, um, being, uh, not pushed, but being, being, uh, what's the word I'm looking for. I've completely lost my train of thought. Um, that, what was I saying, Stu? That you basically kind of uh, like I, I don't know. I'm, I'm trying to find the word now for you, like um, compromising <laughs> your art, that sort of thing. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think there's this thought that you're compromising your art if you're taking this these influences from from the medium that it's coming out on, maybe or something. But I, I, it's this. You know, 2022. I think you've got to play the game, and if this is the best way to get your record out there, and the best format for people to hear it in, then play that game and, and, and make it as great as it can be and make it um, uh, as easy for people to consume as possible, you know? Absolutely. Let's take you back for track two. Alex, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me the first song you remember hearing that had an emotional impact on you, please. Okay. Um, it's Billy Joel, Just The Way You Are. Okay. I'm going to say there is a record before that that I have this really distinct memory of, but I don't know what the record is. But I'm going to I'm going to tell you the 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 moment I heard it because I think it was an important moment in my like creative journey and understanding the emotion of music. Um, God, it was when I was like seven, six years old. I'm not sure. Watching a Saturday morning TV show and. It was somebody like Five Star. It's definitely like a pop group of that era. And I can't be sure it was Five Star. But I remember uh, sitting on my own in the living room and um, they went to the musical guests. And like it was quite a sad song. And I remember just having this realisation of like, whoa, this is, God, this is something quite like sad and emotional. And they're singing about stuff I don't really understand. And I turned the sound off on the TV because I was like, I'm not ready for this. Wow. I yeah, I really distinctly remember it. And I just had this feeling of like, yeah, I don't understand that. That's kind of too much for me right now. And I turned off the uh, the TV because it was like, the emotion was was too much for me. So I think that really was one of the first times I, I, I had that understanding of... of That's the, fucking mad. <laughs> yeah, it is. It's, it's funny I still remember it now. I, just have, I, can, I can picture the living room and... I think that was like, yeah, one of the key moments in my like musical, um, musical journey. It's weird, isn't it? Because music's so, it's just there as, when you're a kid, isn't it? And it's like, there's no real depth to it at that age. It's just, it's just nice sounds, isn't it? And I think that first moment when 
it cuts a little deeper. It must, like, it is quite, that's why I asked this question, because it is quite a moment, isn't it? It's like, oh, I know I remember that, because that made me feel different to how music had ever made me feel before. Yeah, I really realised the power of music that Saturday morning, for sure, man. Uh, and I, I don't know how long it took me till I could then start listening to music yeah. uh, in a way that I, like, could let it in, but certainly wasn't ready then. But the um, the song of Chosen is kind of a weird way I heard this record. Uh, is Billy Joel, Just The Way You Are. Now, it was the the preset song on the first synth I ever got. Which, wow. Which I'm just going to reach down and see. Uh, I can't see it. It's under a pile of other synths, but it's a ca- an old Casio synth I, I, I got when I was a kid. And... Yeah, it had like a demo song. So when you push the demo button, it played this like Casio synth version of this song. I didn't know the record before I had this synth. Um, and it took me a while to even figure out that it was someone else's song. But I used to play um, with action figures a lot, with superhero nerds, lots of Batman toys, um, all of that stuff. And whenever I was playing a game and I like wanted, I always imagine them as films and stuff. And whenever I like wanted this sort of emotional moment where the hero was battling someone, I'd always play the demo song on my keyboard <laughs> and sort of act it out. So, and it was quite an emotional song. Like it, if I listen to it now, I bet it's going to sound really bizarre and weird on this Casio, uh, 80s Casio version but yeah that was the first song that had emotional impact because I kind of I could feel that there was this emotion to the song and I used it to to soundtrack these imaginary films I was uh acting out and what was the what was the emotion um you know there's a it definitely had this, I think also because of the drum beat that was programmed with it and stuff, it definitely had this like end credits of a film, hero wins sort of vibe to it. Now, I don't think uh, the Billy Joel version does have that, but this particular Casio version, that was it. It kind of had a, it was sad, but it was uplifting. It kind of had a slight heroism to it in this yeah. weird version. But um, yeah, it, uh, my parents must have, been driven mad listening to this. <laughs> in fact, I didn't even realise it was Billy Joel until, or maybe I'd forgotten until we um we we did this podcast and I was doing some research on it. I always thought it was in a Bond film for some reason, or that it had been used in a Bond film. I don't know where my my brain got crossed there, but yeah, that's the song. Uh, you mentioned driving your parents uh, crazy with that Casio uh, song. Like, where where was home then? Um. Wiltshire, uh, Salisbury in Wiltshire, which is like way, way, way down south. Uh, I, I used to always say to people uh, when I was traveling a lot, if they asked where I was from, I'd say Salisbury, Stonehenge, and they'd, they'd understand what yeah. I meant. But now it's uh, more famous for the Russian poisoning. So that now I say that's where the uh, <laughs> yeah. spies poisoned the, the defected Russian agent. <laughs> Happy place to grow up. Yeah, great place to go. I mean, one of those places that you, or, you know, I speak for myself that I, I couldn't wait to leave, but with hindsight, it was, it was a great place to grow up, you know? Mm. And uh, was it a musical house, aside from your Casio synth? 
Um, my mum and dad loved listening to music for sure. Neither of them were musicians, but yeah, there was. I definitely have memories of 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 uh, my mum listening to a lot of Elton John, um, and um, my dad loving Dire Straits, Jimi Hendrix, and uh, Tina Turner. Lots yeah. of memories of uh, Tina Turner. Yeah. yeah. For track three, let's stay in the, uh, the, the, the formative years. Alex, I'm going to ask you please to tell me the song that reminds you of your time at school. Well, this was a hard one because there's so many records that it could be. Um... You can always have honourable mentions as well, mate. If you've got a few to throw out there, then uh, feel free. Yeah, I mean, an honourable mention uh, was, was an album, was Be Here Now by Oasis, just for the reason that the day that that came out, was the day that we got our GCSE results and we had a, a be here now listening party after we got our GCSE results at my friend's house. So I always remember that as like, it was a, a fucking big day. It was like yeah. a new Oasis album and our GCSE results. Um, so it could be a many, many Oasis songs to be honest. Um, but the, again, the one that like, it's interesting actually, now I'm, I'm talking to you about these records. A couple of them have had like, clear vivid visual memories with them and um when i was thinking about it the the really clear visual memory that popped out was walking to the to the bus stop from home in the morning on my way to school as like the summer was just beginning or spring was turning to summer and blasting dodgy staying out for the summer on my headphones as loud as possible and just walking down the down the hill feeling like anything's possible and the summer's ahead of us and what's going to happen you know um yeah, it's, I love that record. I love that band. They were like one of my absolute favourite bands um, growing up. Um, I think I think they get a bit of a, 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 a tough rap, dodgy. I think like they do, man. I don't. I, I I don't know why. I still during lockdown actually. I I I revisited a lot of things that I I used to like and hadn't yeah. listened to or watched in a long time to go. To, you know, to to give it some perspective and dodgy just. Those albums still sound fucking amazing, man. Yeah. The songwriting is so good. Um, the production on Free Piece Suite, their third album, really ticked a lot of boxes for me because it was kind of electronics were beginning to creep into their sound and it was this like hybrid of uh, electronic stuff and an indie and that for me was really formative. Um, I actually reached out to Nigel, the the singer of Dodgy, when I when I got back listening to the albums and sent him a message on Twitter and just said like, Hey, um, I really wouldn't be doing this if it wasn't for your records. And uh, I just wanted you to know I make music now, and like, thank you so much for all the ins- inspiration. Yeah. You know? yeah, they're really nice guys. I've had Andy and, and Nigel on this podcast, and they've both been absolute delights. And uh, and yeah, I mean, t- talk about the kind of was it just was school just purely guitar music for you at that point? Um. Yeah, it, it was until oh yeah, I was diehard indie kid, um, and was until Fatboy Slim, Better Living Through Chemistry came out. That was when things changed for me, yeah. um, and then it was like I was like diehard indie. Then I got into these acts where it was kind of formatted in a way that I could. Um, it was dance music, but formatted in a way that I could understand coming from an indie background. So it wasn't just like 
four four beats yeah. for, for six minutes it was like live drum breaks and guitars and mad samples um so then i was into sort of fat boy slim and, and the big big beat that whole scene yeah. and then it evolved into like liking the more more purest form of dance music yeah. but yeah there's definitely an evolution to it um but certainly i've always liked and gravitated towards stuff that is kind of a hybrid of of, of dance music with those touches of, of indie stuff to them Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Yeah. Do you enjoy school? Um, did I enjoy school? That is a good question. Mmm. Mmm. No, I no, I don't think so. I think I was that kid that was always like had a lot of potential but didn't apply myself because I was just I don't know, dreaming of other things and wanting to do other things and be I didn't quite know what it was at the time, but um yeah, I found the whole thing just like something I had to do and didn't love it that much and even got yeah, I got kicked out of my A-levels because of Glastonbury. I chose Glastonbury over my A-levels. <laughs> Any regrets? No, none whatsoever. I, 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 was, <laughs> I, was, being, um, I was being quite a naughty uh, teenager and I went to do my A-levels, went to college, didn't really know why, I didn't really want to, you know, I wanted to be a rock star at that point and I uh, was like, why am I doing A-levels? But I wasn't going to many lessons and uh, I asked for time off for Glastonbury and... My head of year was like, dude, if you uh, if you go to Glastonbury, you're you're not coming back to college. So obviously I went to Glastonbury uh, and I remember getting a phone call from from my parents one by one on the I don't know, maybe the Friday of Glastonbury saying, hey, we just had a call from your college. Uh, Did you know you weren't allowed to go to Glastonbury? And do you know they've now threatened to kick you out? Uh, So. 
I hung up the phone on my parents after apologising profusely and then had the best Glastonbury ever. And that, <laughs> that, you know what? I really feel like Glastonbury's been such a big part of my life for so many years. Um, it, it was really important in my musical journey. And I don't have I don't have any regrets about that decision. I think going to Glastonbury and being opened up to all that that um, could offer me really was a much bigger turning point in education than um, doing some A-levels I didn't want to do at the time, you know. You mentioned that you wanted to be a, a, a rock star. Um, that was exactly what I told my careers officer, uh, <laughs> which uh, didn't go down very well. But that, that was 1988. You know, there, there weren't a lot going on uh, uh, in guitar music then. Um, he then said... That's never going to happen. Have you got a backup plan? To which I then said, "Stunt man," and, uh, <laughs> and that didn't go down Another any better. Another solid career path, yeah. <laughs> um, so you you wanted to be involved in music at that point in your life, and 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 a, and a sort of double sort of double up the question here: Was that ever encouraged? Like the creativity was that encouraged at your school? Um. Certainly not at secondary school. I went to like an all boys grammar school, which was very sports and edu and you know like um, education focused. There wasn't, I, I, and in fact, I didn't really do any music there. It was when I got to to my A levels, and instead of going to lessons, I met. I'd made a group of new friends there that were all in bands, and we just go. We had a mate Charlie that lived um, two streets down from college his mum was out all day so we'd just go down to his house play guitar write songs hang out and um that was my sort of uh beginnings of of, of my my musical education there and they're again, the best think, times right oh it was amazing like i think going to charlie's house every day and writing songs and hanging out and talking about music was like um yeah, it was so important for me. So important. Yeah. Track four, first song you remember buying from a record shop, please, mate. Okay, this is um, Bobby Brown on our own from the Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, which Sorry. I have to say is an important caveat because for whatever reason, my fir the first records I bought were um, affiliated with either TV shows or movies. That was my gateway to music. So Simpsons Sing the Blues was one of my first albums I ever got. Yep. Massive album. Uh, weirdly, the Days of Thunder soundtrack I definitely had. I'm not sure why, because I don't know if I really like the film that much. Show Me um, Heaven was the big global hit, wasn't it? Mariah McKee. Yeah, big tune. That is a and, big um, tune. And uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, the soundtrack was really... Uh, I, I loved that. That's... that's it's an amazing record on it called 9.95, the sort of like funk, American like pop funk 80s drum machine workout song, which yeah, I actually think a lot of those, those songs and those albums definitely influenced my musical brain because I love a lot of that synthy drum machine stuff now, you know. And anyway, but, but Ghostbusters 2 soundtrack, which was a huge film for me growing up, um, I like it more than the first one, which is controversial. Um, and the standout track for me on that was definitely Bobby Brown on her own. Uh, still a record that is amazing now. 
Um, and I'd never stopped listening to in, I mean, God, how long ago was that? 30 years, probably. Yeah. Um, still know the rap off by heart. Um, yeah, just a, a sick record. Do you, are, you, are you a fan of that kind of, because for me, that, that caught me when I was maybe 14. So I got Bobby Brown when that whole Teddy Riley swing beat thing like just exploded and like, and there was so much of it. And it was, you know, with your, your Bell Biv DeVos and all the ex new edition, like, I guess, including Bobby Brown, obviously, there was so much of that coming through and it was so exciting. It, it was that a sound that you, 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 you know, that you like. Not at all at the time. Like, mm. my first introduction to Bobby Brown was Ghostbusters 2. Sure. Um, and in fact, I didn't really even know about New Edition until way later. So, yeah. no, it was very much like... It was an anomaly. And it was it's, it's interesting that I sort of accepted, oh, I really love this song, but I never then delved further into that genre or you know as a kid or anything but then i guess me again music wasn't as accessible as it is now i couldn't just pull up spotify and go oh the best new jack swing playlist yeah. whatever you know um so no it wasn't it, it wasn't a big sound for me at the time but i guess just through the movie affiliation it like yeah ended up uh sucking me in but um definitely as years have gone on like one of my favorite records of all time um is the system you are you are in my system yeah which is not exactly new jack swing but there's a there's a through line there in the drums and the mm. and the sort of vocal melodies and stuff i love that record so again maybe this maybe bobby brown opened up my my ears and um to that sort of stuff yeah well tell me a little bit about your relationship over the years and and and, and bring it up to, to to present time your your relationship with the record shop um I mean, years ago, it was quite, yeah, years ago, it was like one of the ways for me to find out about music. Um, I've told, I saved the story in a lot of interviews, but, um, you know, the first time I ever heard Fatboy Slim, Better Living Through Chemistry, and that changed my life in so many ways was because I'd missed my bus home one night and I had like an hour to kill. So I went to the Virgin Megastore there was a listening post and I'd, I'd read in the enemy about better living through chemistry, which the enemy was my gateway to another world and yeah. to, to London and to cool music and to all this new stuff. Um, I mean, I think that, well, I'll finish the record source story. Um, yeah. So I'd missed the bus home, saw fat boy slim on the, on the uh, listening post, put on those headphones and had my mind blown. Um, and was like, whoa, okay, so good. So dance music can kind of have the excitement of rock music and guitars and it have this edge and energy to it that, that I just had no idea about. It was, it was dance music in a format I could get my head around and that completely changed everything for me. So, you know, that accidental missing a bus happening to be on the listening post, that was really pivotal for me. Um, now that, I mean, yeah, there is no relationship to a record store now. I yeah. don't buy vinyl anymore. I don't, um, yeah, it's a shame. It's, it's, it is a real shame that that, that side of it's lost, but you know, I'm, I, we, we get a lot of other good things from 
having everything at our fingertips. You know? Absolutely. You mentioned something about the NME that you said you was going to go back to. Oh, uh, yeah, just that, like, I think f- grow- growing up in a, in a a tiny village outside a small town in, in, in the countryside, like, those magazines, uh, like The Enemy, Melody Maker, Select Magazine on, on a monthly basis, Q Magazine, Jockey Slut, I would religiously, like, queue up at WH Smith every, every time I knew, like, every Wednesday The Enemy was out. Maybe Melody Maker came out the same day. Or they did. They both come out the same day. They did. So Wednesday was a massive day for me. I'd like get to WH Smith before school started. As soon as it opened, get those and like spend the next day pouring through them and yeah. absorbing everything. It was it was like a real time machine and a, a transportation to like another place and this this line to to a world I wanted to be in and, and wasn't in. You know. Yeah. Um, it's, and the face magazine i, I have oh, to mention yeah. the magazine as well because that was like huge for me uh, uh, yeah it was it's so interesting that that now if you you know you have all this information at your fingertips but there's something so nice about that that ritual and and the um not schedule's not the right word but the the routine that i had with them you yeah. know like you know, going to these physical places and remembering remembering the excitement of being on the bus. Like, what's it's the journey? Yeah, and and it, it, you know, it it comes up so many times on this podcast that, and I you know, it was like, oh yeah, I'd get the bus and then I'd get that and then I'd read it on the way home from bus, or you know, I'd go there, I'd get that tape, and then as soon as I got out, I'd go on my walk and I'd walk home, and it was like it's just having that relationship with that journey, which is one of the things, and I, and I try my hardest not to become like, you know, Grandad Stu on here and talk about the good old days when everything was yeah. vinyl and stuff like that. that you know, there, as you said, there's just so many sort of positives in, in the fact that we've got everything at our fingertips musically now. It's amazing. Um, but I do think that attachment to, to a journey of going and buying something and, and because you couldn't have it all then, you could only get the one bit it does create a fond memory and, and, and it kind of hits heavy with nostalgia. And one of the other things that you, you, you mentioned about sort of select and, and, and the enemy and, and all of these publications of, you know, obviously all long since cease print. And, uh, and I also think that one of the things I do miss is, is kind of like album artwork having a real big kind of place. I mean, we're seeing the resurgence of, 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 of vinyl and things like that. And obviously every artist spends a lot of time on their, on their artwork, but I do think that the days of the iconic sleeve are maybe more distant than than they were. Mm-hmm. And 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 with the same with magazine covers, it was I was watching um a documentary about Suede um a couple of nights ago, and they uh, and and Brett Anderson was on there talking about uh, the iconic cut, the select cover where he's standing in front of this Union Jack that he never stood in front of. He then said, right. uh, and it was like best new band in Britain. And, uh, and he said like that changed our career. Like mm-hmm. everything changed the minute we got that. And like, and you just think like, would that happen there? Is there a publication out there or is there a, a platform where one photograph will absolutely have an impact on people like me and you that will go and buy their magazines religiously on a Wednesday. And then, well, I guess, you know, the thing that just, you sparked then, which is a, a strange through line, but I guess there's not magazines, but if you think of Instagram, sure. the shot that I thought of was that uh, Kim Kardashian one that like 
blew up the internet in inverted yeah. quotes from maybe you know maybe those iconic photos now absolutely are, they're not presented to us through magazines anymore but i yeah. think there are still those iconic images that affect the whole new generation of, yeah. of people in that way but but not for you know not uh, but to, to bring it back to musicians i you know i don't know if a an instagram post is gonna blow up your album uh yeah. in the way that that a cover like that would for for suede mm. um you know more importantly even than album artwork for me was the liner notes that's how i really got yeah. to understand what was going on in a record and what different different people behind the scenes were doing you know um like someone i really love and and have always wanted to work with was um will malone who's a, a string arranger who did fuck so many amazing records from back in the day bittersweet symphony he worked with verve didn't he that was he was, that was verve, his big, yeah uncle um did lonely soul for uncle oh. uh basement jacks um a bunch of stuff for them. Anyway, and like someone like Will Malone, I would never have found out about yeah. if it weren't for liner notes because Spotify doesn't have liner notes. They have yeah. produced by and written by, but you can't see who mixed it. You can't see who did additional production. You can't see who was the string arranger. You can't see what instruments were being played, what synths were being used. You know, when I used to go to record stores to find records to sample a lot, that would always be... I, I would blindly just pick records either from whether I like the the cover or also I'd look in the liner notes and go, is anyone playing synths on it? Oh, they are. Okay, there's bound to be some good samples on here. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, the liner notes for me, I, I miss those, man. I really, I, I look, f- you know, I still put on every record I make, I still specify in the label copy that it says written and produced by Alex Metric at the Batcave, because that's the name of my studio. No one gives a shit. No one's ever going to read that, you know, because there's nowhere to read no, that. No, that's not true, though. Because there will be nerds like what you was that would devour everything. Yeah. I'm that guy. Do you know what I mean? There's plenty of us out there that just would, because that was all you had, you'd want to know every single bit about that record, wouldn't you? Yeah. So somewhere out there, there is that metadata that says recorded at the Batcave, which is just, I don't know, it's just something I like to do because it would, the young, the, the young me would like to see that my studio is called the Batcave. So, you know. <laughs> I love that. Okay, well, look, this is going to be an interesting one. Um, Alex Mectric, tell me the song that soundtracked your years in Clubland. Yeah, this is a tricky one because my clubbing uh, journey had so many different eras to it. So there are different records that would define different eras to it. You know, there was back home i some of my friends opened a club when i was 18 which was a pretty crazy time and that was through the sort of years of garage being really big so you know i could pick a garage song from that era or or there was a a time when i was going to the big beat boutique in brighton all the time um with a different group of friends so there's something from that era or then when i started coming to london a lot more and going to fabric religiously every friday um but so I sort of thought, well, what was the start to all of that? And the start to all of that was, again, there's a pivotal night that really cemented my my love for dance music and DJs going going to see them in a in a in a festival or club environment. Um, 
So I think the song that soundtracked that summer and, and that particular gig was the, um, the Sunshine Underground by the Chemical Brothers. Now, God, what? It, this was Glastonbury in 97 or 98. I'm not sure exactly which. Maybe 99, but I feel like it was 98. And um, my three favourite dance music acts at the time, and I, you know, I was kind of new to it all at this point, were, were Gus Gus, Fatboy Slim and the Chemical Brothers. And they were all playing in a row in the dance tent at Glastonbury. Um, That's so a good like, night, right? <laughs> mind-blowing night. <laughs> and this was the summer that that Chemical Brothers album had come out, which was uh, Surrender. It was, yeah. And weirdly, it just felt like everywhere I walked on the Glastonbury site, um, every, like, burger van, bar, noodle joint was playing this Chemical Brothers album because it was like... I think it had come out, like, the week before the that Glastonbury. And I... I they don't really, I'm trying to think of Glastonbury now, but uh, at that time, like, yeah, the, 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 even the stalls would be playing music and there'd be people like dancing outside the stalls because, you know, maybe there was nothing going on at that point. And it just felt like every stall I walked to, this record, The Sunshine Underground, was on um, every one. And I, I remember, like, we'd always, like, run over and dance to it and then on to the next, on to the next thing. Um, and I think that whole summer with my group of friends at the time, we were obsessed with the Sunshine Underground and listened to it nonstop. And again, a song with an amazing intro that completely yeah. wrong foots you. This psychedelic halftime thing where you think, okay, this is like some sort of ambient record. And then it just flips and goes into this full on um, euphoric, epic fucking record. Yeah, they're good at that, aren't they? <laughs> they're the best. The best. Um, yeah, and that that night again, like seeing those three acts really um, sent me off on on my musical journey. Uh, yeah, that was a, another key moment. It's it's funny, isn't it? How it's been really good going back and listening to all these records and think about this because you start to pull out these key moments and you're like, God. You know, if that hadn't happened, then I wouldn't have gone to this. And if that hadn't, yes, it's, uh, it's it's really fun, like plotting out these moments that that create this journey. Lovely. Well, I'm going to take that journey home now, and and for track six, I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me uh, the favorite uh, favorite song from an artist from your home county, please. Well, sadly, uh, after doing some research, there really isn't anyone that I could find that I liked or, or, or really like, there's not many people that have come from Salisbury that do music. Now I'm sorry to everyone from Salisbury that like, if I've now, um, uh, offended a bunch of people, but I, I couldn't think of many. Um, is there any from Salisbury? Not from Salisbury and certainly not from Wiltshire. Even mm. when I looked, it was like Jamie Cullum who very talented chap, but not really my bag. Yeah. Um, Peter Gabriel came up because he lives in Wiltshire and has done for a long time. And I do fucking love Peter Gabriel uh, and went on a real Peter Gabriel rabbit hole during lockdown uh, and became really obsessed with him. So did I. That's so weird. Okay. Did you watch that? Because I 
my friend Trevor Jackson had tweeted a interview, or not an interview, like a documentary about him making um So. So is the album with um Sledgehammer, Don't Give Up, Red Rain. Yeah, and the album before that as well. Like it was a South Bank show documentary that's on YouTube, which is amazing, by the way, which is following him making those I think it was so, but also I feel like some of the records off the previous album were included in the documentary. Maybe right. it was kind of writing both at the same like time. Going to or... Frontiers and stuff like that. Yeah, and um, that got... And I was like, God, Sledgehammer's one of my favourite records of all time. Uh, why don't I listen to more Peter Gabriel? And then went off on this wormhole and then found out about Daniel Lanois. Do you know him? The producer yeah, that worked on it with him? I didn't really know who he was at the time. Um and once I looked into what Daniel Lamoir did and like worked with Brian Eno, you two kind of went on a rabbit hole with him. And then he appeared on a podcast I was listening that I listened to. He was on the Mark Moron podcast randomly. Yeah. It's funny how the universe just like, just as I discovered who he was, suddenly he appeared on this podcast. Um, did he work with Depeche Mode as well? I don't think so, but possibly, possibly. I think he worked on Violator. Right. Okay. I might be wrong. And what an amazing producer. I mean, now that I've started talking about Peter Gabriel, I feel like I should include him. <laughs> because I absolutely, my mind was... Have you seen the documentary? No. Just, it's on YouTube. It's like an hour long. It's so interesting. Um, hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. You know, maybe we should put. Maybe I should just do "Sledgehammer" by Peter Gabriel. Mm, that's got a good intro. Or "Open Your Eyes." No, mm. "In Your Eyes." In your eyes, in, yeah. In your eyes. God, that's so good. That record. Yeah. Let's go, Sledgehammer. I'm sorry, okay. I'm completely changing it now. That's fine. That's but fine. I want to give an honourable mention to a new band because I don't want it to be all golden oldies. So, going over to Somerset, which is like next door to um. To Wiltshire, uh, do you know Sad Night Dynamite? Uh, I don't know, but when you sent the list over, I had a little listen. Really good. Mm. Um, they're like two two dudes from Somerset, and their track "Crunk" has I've been obsessed with for for ever since I heard it a few months ago. Uh, and they're definitely like, you can hear the Bristol sound in what they do. There's a yeah. through line from Massive Attack. Um, there's that kind of darkness that like a, a tricky record might have or something. Then there's kind of a gorillas element to it as, as well. And obviously doing their own thing. I don't want to be completely reductive to these influences. But like, yeah, I really love them. And I think like, so amongst all these old classics, I really wanted to like shout out someone new as well. And uh, yeah, there's an honorable mention for them. Okay, wonderful. And and just to go back to Peter Gabriel briefly, mm. um, 
gr- growing up and 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 you know being of an age when so come out and the, the impact of of the video for Sledgehammer and and yes. you know seeing these huge records and one of the things that I just never really paid that much attention to is just how fucking amazing his voice is. Mm. It's insane. Yeah. Like so good. I've gone back to some of the kind of the Genesis stuff that he's sung with and his voice is unbelievable. It, it's so distinctive as well. Sounds like nobody else. It's like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. The, the production as well, man. Like yeah. watching him working a Lindrum and then playing a synth and then just singing in this documentary, like kind of singing nonsense, which, you know, often it's the way a song will start. You just start singing vowels and nonsense. And then the song kind of takes shape and, and seeing that he could, I don't know. I think what I thought of Peter Gabriel when I was a kid, cause I only knew Sledgehammer. And then what I realize he is now or realize what, you know, his music is now like they're two very different things. I think Sledgehammer can be quite a, uh, Although I think it's an amazing record, I love it. It can also kind of um, wrong foot you as to what what he is as well. It's definitely like one of his most straight up records. You oh, hundred percent. Um, and yeah, it wasn't until weirdly it wasn't until I saw Fatboy Slim DJ at the Big Beat Boutique in Brighton one time, and he played Sledgehammer in the middle of his set, and I must have been about I don't know eighteen, nineteen. And that was when I was like, oh, yeah, this is a really cool record. Like, I knew it, and I loved the video, and it was like a cool – it was a, a fun pop record to me yeah. until that moment. And then when I heard it in a setting of, like, a club, I was like, whoa, this is a fucking amazing record. Yeah, love it. Right, well, for your last track, uh, Alex, you get to uh, to be Tastemaker, and, uh, and I'm going to ask you, please, to tell me a song that you think many people may not know that you would like them to hear, please. Yeah, tough one. Two, two really jump to mind, and weirdly, both of them have blue in the artist name. It's either um, the Blue Nile, Tinsel Town in the Rain, oh, or man. Blue Gas, Shadows from Nowhere. Do you know the Blue Nile? Uh, of course, yeah, yeah. Uh, Scotland's finest, okay. mate. <laughs> Sorry, Scotland's finest. Yeah, so I didn't know them at all until uh literally a month before lockdown everything kicked in and i was i was doing some research for a a dj mix i I was doing for my coup project which was like a really balearic i did this hour hour and a half long mix with like a visual of ibiza through the decades and um i was just doing some digging through old alfredo dj sets from um from space and and maybe some some DJ mixes from Koo and just all those like really early early um, Ibiza DJ sets and and this came on in the middle of, of of one of the these Alfredo sets and I was like what the fuck is that record and it was being played quite slow as well as a lot of great Balearic records should be and um, I was just so captured by it and somehow I don't know I knew that my friend Trevor would know what it was. So I sent him a link and was like, what's that record? And he rang me up straight away and went, mate, that's the blue Nile. That's my favorite band ever. And I was yeah. like, what is the blue Nile? You're talking and about then, Trevor Jackson, right? Trevor Jackson. Yeah. yeah. And then just found out about this unbelievable, uh, like a really interesting story to the band. 
unbelievable records. And um, yeah, they quickly became one of my favorite favorite bands. Uh, and Paul Buchanan's solo stuff, I breaks my fucking heart. Yeah. Those records, I love them. Um, in a there's a through line with them, and like you know, I love Johnny Cash's rendition of Hurt. Just that kind of, I like a lot of like sad. Um, older guys singing about their life you know yeah. you can hear the the kind of sadness and, and, and regret and 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 years in their voices and, and the paul buchanan solo records made in the last i think it was like i don't know 2000 in the last five years or so mm-hmm. they that has that record has that to it as well but i feel now that i've talked about the blue nile so much i think i should put that in because i think there's such a a back catalog to their stuff as well um they feel like a little secret, though. It's like not many people, like maybe in in Scotland, it's a very different story. But but it just feels like, you know, you said to me, "Have you heard of them?" And it's like, and if I mention the Blue Nile to to, to lots of my friends, they're like, "No, I don't really know who they are." And then the minute you go, "Have a listen," everything's going to be all right. It's like, and it is like, wow, fuck, and it's like, this is incredible. Yeah, and I love the the sort of. The myth, you know, the 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 story to them where they they only did an album once every eight years, right? Yeah. And like, you know, almost kind of. I think they were just, they were so good that they almost messed up for for themselves. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like being taking too long between records. But then when every time a record came out, it was amazing. Then they disappear again. Yeah. No one would hear of them. And the, the story is that they because they signed to. Um, Oh, it's not not lit. Was it Lynn? One of the drum machine companies. Was it Lynn? I'm trying to think. Let's say it's Lynn and fact checkers can can. One of the drum machine companies in the 80s started a record label and they they signed to this record label started by Lynn. And so they had access to the, to the Lynn studio with all of the gear, all of the drum machines. And that's why their records are so impeccably produced from the off because they they essentially made their records with a music technology company i did not know that yeah i I, my something in my brain is saying it's not lynn but something like yeah one of those companies like that and yeah and that's how so they they got access to the studio and all this gear and that's why because not only from a, a songwriting and a the chords they use are so distinctly that band but the production as well is fucking insane. Yeah. Um, especially when it gets to like hats that, that record's really well produced. Um, and again, it's like synthy, but indie, um, picks all the boxes for me. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we make it very easy for people to go and, uh, discover the blue Nile and, and all the other artists that you've, um, that you've picked tracks from today, because we put together a little Spotify playlist, um, of all your, all your picks, uh, so people can go and explore it. Um, awesome. I'm, I'm, I'm interested to know now as, 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 as clubs are reopened, uh, festivals are happening, gigs are happening. Um, for the rest of this year, I'm interested to know what you're looking forward to personally. And what's going to be happening professionally? Um, professionally, I am 
you know, I'm literally about to do my first DJ gig in two and a half years tomorrow. How are you feeling about that? Um, you know, it's a really interesting one. I, I really stop. I, I had a bit of a meltdown from uh, on tour in America a few years ago, and just like never wanted a DJ again. Burnt myself out, and came back to the UK, and just just was like. I want to be a producer. That's what I really love. And like, I, I need to just be in the studio. So I made a real conscious decision and just kind of fell out of love with DJing and, and just focused on, on, on studio stuff. And, and luckily that, you know, I had a great time doing that, but it wasn't until lockdown and the opportunity to DJ if I wanted to, cause I, I'd still go and do some, the odd gig here and there. If it, if it was super fun, like going to Tokyo, stuff like that. Um, and it wasn't till lockdown I was like, fuck, I actually kind of miss that now, you know? Yeah. And so for me, the idea of DJing again, I'm actually, I, 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 I'm slightly terrified, but also super excited. And it's, it's a DJ set for my project Coup. Um, and that was a project that we signed a month before lockdown started and made all those records and all the stuff that came with it through lockdown. That was kind of my what kept me sane through that whole period, those, those two years. And so for me, all those records I've made, I've never had a chance to play them out to a crowd and I've never been able to see that emotional connection. And, and, and so I'm feeling, I'm feeling really excited that I'll get to play that music to people. Um, I'm really looking forward to that, but I'm also the thought of like, I still had that DJ anxiety dream, all the time, even when I haven't been DJing, of like your USB isn't the right one, <laughs> yeah. or your you can't find the right song, or all like I have that on a weekly basis still, and I did even all the way through lockdown when I wasn't DJing. So obviously, there's still a massive part of me that is yeah quite scared about that side of it. But um, yeah, I, I'm looking forward to it, man. And I think I keep getting like pangs of excitement, like oh yeah, I really really like doing this and it's it's a ministry of sound i haven't played there for like god about 12 years so it's gonna be nice to go back to that room again um yeah so that's like the most immediate thing and then doing some doing some coup shows in the states we've got a couple of festivals um booked in for september and again for me that's really exciting going back to america but with this new project and these new songs and getting the chance to 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 do those in a in a half live half dj setting um hopefully we can our singer shun will be able to join us and we can um our singer shun like third part of the band and absolute um musical genius shun goodzo um hopefully she can join us as well and we can like really it's just about getting i've really missed that connection between me and the audience a lot and it's great seeing numbers on Spotify and seeing people comment and say they like songs, but seeing a look on people's faces when we play those records is going to be really, really great, man. So you know what, like personally and professionally, I think that's what I'm really most looking forward to is, is actually getting to, to uh, make that connection with people again, for sure. Wonderful. Alex, it's been an absolute joy talking. It's been so fun. Thanks so much, man. I, I really, really enjoyed it absolute pleasure and if people want to keep up to speed with what you're doing where you're playing 
every kind of bit of creative output that you do, where's the best place to keep up to speed with you? Um, I think Instagram and Twitter. Um, so it's Alex Metric on Twitter and Alex Metric on Instagram. Maybe Alex Metric Music. I forget, but I'm there. And there's all you know all my singles that are coming out, production stuff I'm doing, gigs and stuff. It all goes up there. So that's a good place to keep tabs. Well, we'll tag you in it when we put this out. If you're cool with that, yeah, absolutely. And uh, and yeah, thanks again, Alex. It's been an absolute joy, mate. Awesome, thanks, dude. Oh, how lovely was that? What a delightful human being. Um, I've just finished recording the, the the episode, so I'm recording the the intros and the outros straight away afterwards. And I'm as as is the case with so many of these. I just I'm still buzzing. It's so nice to meet people whose music as 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 you you know really really sort of never been far from your playlists over years and and i spoke to him afterwards about um we got so close to booking alex to dj one of my club nights many years ago there was there's some mutual friends involved and and yeah it's a very small world and when you finally get to sit down one-to-one and, and have these conversations uh and get to i did not think i'd be talking about peter gabriel on that podcast uh, i did not think i'd be talking about dire straits on that podcast um just delightful um and and as mentioned, go check out the playlist. It's on Spotify. Um, have a deep dive on um, on the Blue Nile um, because uh, yeah, it's special. Uh, go check out all of Alex's um, uh, 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 creative outlets. Um, we'll put plenty on the on the playlist as well. And uh, yeah, and most of all, thanks for listening. Have a lovely week. I'll be back next time. Um, yeah, be nice to each other. Love you. Bye bye. It's off the beat and track podcast on the Distraction Pieces Network. You've made stew with him. Eight o'clock.